What's up? What's up? What's up, everyone? Hello, happy Thursday, May nineteenth. Welcome to an episode, uh, the, another episode of Space Talk. What's up? My name is Athena Brentsberger. You might already know who I am, so if you do, hello again. If you're new to Space Talk, uh, you can just call me your in-app astronomer. Um, I really love everything that has to do with space, and this is why I created this podcast known as Space Talk, so we can all come together and literally talk all about everything that has to do with space exploration. Um, so what's up? If you guys want to go ahead and leave a comment in the chat and say hello, uh, feel free to do that. Um, this episode is going to be a little bit weird. Uh, a few, I feel like a few of them have been quite weird, actually, uh, is because we're kind of going into different types of topics. So rather than sort of the more fundamentals of space and astronomy, which we kind of spent a lot of our first introductory episodes doing, we're kind of going into now all these other areas of space exploration, such as the last one, which was um, all about the kind of comparison and contrast to astrology and astronomy. So looking at those. And this episode I titled Astronomical Engineering. Uh, this was actually because I was looking up some stuff recently. I don't really remember what it was, but the term astronomical engineering came up and I thought it was pretty interesting. So I decided I would make a whole episode about it, even though I, I'm going to be kind of learning as we go today. I, I, I don't really know much about it. And it's probably because there isn't really much known about it because it's not real. Uh, but I think that that's what could be a really fun thing uh, to sort of talk about are things that are not necessarily real. So hello, what's up to Space But Messier? Can't wait for you to join our next episode, Tony. Really, really excited for that. So um, quick shout out. We have an episode scheduled for next Wednesday, May 25th at 3 p.m. Central Time. I will be going live with Tony uh, D. Bernardo, who is also known as Space But Messier. And I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a super fun interview. Uh, he's popped on here quite a few times in the past, but uh, this is going to be, um, I think, just an overall really great conversation. So I, I can't wait for that. You guys should definitely tune into that episode next week. Um, so let's kind of just jump into it. First off, uh, the image I used for this episode is not anything related to um, astronomical engineering. And uh, we'll get to that a little bit, but I'll just sort of say it's because it is a science fiction concept right now. But the picture I chose, uh, I just decided to Google space right before this episode and um, a an image came up of space junk. So I thought I would just sort of take a quick, quick brief moment to talk a little bit about space junk and what exactly that is and what's being done to try to solve it, if it's a problem, how much of a problem is it? Is it actually a threat? Is it something that can go away on its own? So uh, space junk is uh, leftover like materials from other types of spacecraft and satellite that orbit Earth uh, that are no longer in service. And the oftentimes the materials are completely destroyed from radiation from the sun. So they, the hardware may still exist, but it's not functional anymore. It could be um, just like really, you know, damaged. It could have like just way too much UV radiation. Um, you know, it's, it's orbiting around space. So since it's beyond our atmosphere on Earth, it's not protected by uh, things that we'd be protected by here on Earth, such as uh, not only our atmosphere, but our electromagnetic field lines as well, and um, which will help sort of protect Earth from solar flares and radiation and coronal mass ejections, uh, and in turn end up creating aurora borealis around our planet, which we get to see. 
So with all that being said, there are these spacecraft floating um, that sometimes are decommissioned and there are a few places they'll go. One of them is known as the graveyard orbit. And this is a specific region where uh, sometimes satellites that are no longer in use will be pushed into orbit, which is still around Earth. Um, sometimes they will crash land on Earth, like in the oceans, and, and it will maybe will be collected by the space agencies whose spacecraft that is. Um, but for the most part, there's a lot that's kind of just floating up there. And uh, it's it's something that it sometimes becomes a problem. Uh, and this could come in various forms. Sometimes it could be colliding with another like space object up there. It could cause problems where it starts to break apart. As I mentioned, it's a lot of it is pretty damaged uh, from just literally being in space and, and being, you know, so close to the sun. So it, it starts to get damaged. And if pieces start to break off from it, that can damage, uh, you know, people that are living in space, the astronauts and the International Space Station, it could cause problems where it could fly down to Earth, which has happened in the past. Um, and all of this is is basically a problem. So uh, so that, that's statement number one. And so the other thing is, how do we kind of solve that problem? And there's a few space companies that are working on different missions to try to collect the space junk. So so I, I believe one of the things is the uh, light sail that was proposed by the Planetary Society. And um, now I don't exactly remember off the top of my head if this is the drag sail that has a potential for an expandable net, like a giant fishing net, basically. But it's, instead of fishing fish, it's going to be fishing for spacecraft. Um, and I could collect all them. And, uh, you know, pull them out of orbit and bundle it all up and either send it further out into space away from Earth or to uh, have it deployed or land down on uh, down on Earth. The only problem with that are, is space politics. So kind of looking at, uh, you know, this is a area around space policy, which is a very real, very real thing. Um I don't know too much about it, but I do find it really interesting. And I learned a handful about it from one uh, when I was on Capitol Hill with the Planetary Society. I got to speak a little bit with people from NASA headquarters. But the other was on the Tomorrow Show um, on YouTube. I'm literally Googling it right now so I can find the episode for you guys. We brought on a space policy maker. And um, I'm going to try to find the episode. It was a while ago. It was when I was living in Los Angeles. Uh, and it was a really, um, let's see, is this one? This is not it. It was really, it was really fun. I'll find it and then I'll attach it in the bio after this or in the in the caption. Um, but it was it was a really cool interview, and I remember bringing this person on, and I believe I was part. It was like a, gr a group of us who actually had interviewed the person. But all that being said, uh, with space policy being a consideration, what I mean by that is uh, some nations are very sensitive or touchy when it comes to their stuff being touched by other nations. And so uh, that's that's kind of the, the big problem here is that if people from, say, you know, one country that has their stuff up there doesn't want their stuff, even if it's space junk being touched, um, it can cause major problems here on Earth. And so if you know, we kind of moved past that as a, as like a, just a global society and, and instead established some type of treaty saying, okay, like if you have something that's been decommissioned for five plus years, um, and there's a solution to clean it up, like, you know, allow us to do it, allow these external organizations to be able to go up there and clean up the space junk, because that I think would just make it so much 
better for <laughs> the whole earth. Uh, but that's, that's just my humble opinion. Um, so I'm going to take a quick pause because I realized I did not propose a question like I have been doing for our past several episodes. Um, so all that being said, um, I'm going to ask the question of if you had the opportunity to let's see I feel like I've asked quite a few questions before about going to another planet but if you have the opportunity to either go to another planet within our solar system and return to earth or go to another galaxy uh and never return to earth but we had the technology to do it which one would you do um sort of the the inner like Voyager inside of me, the inner explorer would actually want to go to another galaxy. That's just something that I would probably really want to experience uh, just because no one's really done it before, uh, except for with spacecraft. Uh, actually, not, you know, excuse me, spacecraft have not gone to another galaxy. They've just seen other galaxies. And I think that could be something that's really fun and interesting to do. Um, but you would never return to Earth. That, that's sort of the catch-22. Uh, so I, I probably would end up not doing it unless it was much later in my life. Uh, and you know, if I could like bring someone with me, that would be pretty cool too. And, you know, I'm like uh, near the end of, you know, my life anyway, and I could sort of, I don't know, like have had a whole lifetime here on earth and, and go to another galaxy and just sort of end my life there. That'd be, I'd be pretty, I think that'd be pretty cool. So that would be my answer. So what would be, what would be your answer? Feel free to comment that in the chat. Uh, let's see, um, hard, but to be honest, if you went to Saturn and came back, It'd be like an 18-year trip. Although I will say, though, if we did achieve uh, interstellar travel, so if we did achieve uh, the the technology to bring us to another galaxy, I think that the trips to planets would probably be a lot faster. So keep that in mind with your answer. A trip to another planet probably would be um, faster because of maybe just faster rockets. Uh, I know there's still that distance that needs to be considered, um, but... Maybe we might be able to to, to move a lot faster. Um, also, if we're going to be achieving interstellar travel, maybe it's not even our physical matter that travels. Maybe it's 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 a, a deeper level of uh, who knows science fiction consciousness uh, and 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 awareness uh, without without the physical matter. But that's uh, that's getting into science fiction. So that's going to now have us go into astronomical engineering, which is what today's episode is all about: uh, science fiction. So. Um, Again, I don't remember where I heard the term when I was looking things up, but astronomical engineering refers to engineering. So like, you know, uh, sort of like, uh, let me just look up the term engineering specifically, but I would say like kind of constructing, uh, editing, creating, uh, engineering would be to like to, to design and to build complex systems and structures. This is what I just found. Uh, this is specifically with software and hardware. But if we're, if, so if we're doing that and we're taking the definition of engineering and applying it to astronomical engineering, so astronomy, that would mean that we are changing things about space. So that would mean that we are engineering the very cosmos itself. And so this is a very far out there concept, uh, but I think it's really cool. I think it's a really interesting concept to think about. Um, but also at the same time, it's like, I can't help but think of all the negative things that could happen from that. It's like, do we really want to change the orbit of another planet or the shape or whatever it is? Um, 
But I don't think it's too far fetched because if we end up achieving uh, asteroid, you know, missions, which which we've done, so landing on asteroids and then mining them. If we do that on a grander scale, we may ultimately end up engineering the very asteroid itself by extracting elements from it, by changing its mass, which in turn will change its orbit because it's in turn affecting its gravity and its amount of, its amount of gravitational influence on things around it because of its mass fluctuation. And so if we're doing this, then, then in a way we are astronomically engineering things. Um, so that's just like a, an interesting thought to think about. And yes, Dyson spheres, exactly, Tony, Dyson spheres, which, which is this concept or idea of, of literally encapsulating the sun, uh, to then be able to harness its energy to use for lots of other things. Um, and that is like mentioned in the Fermi paradox, which is like a, a level of evolution of humanity that we can get to as a civilization to be able to, you know, fully harness the energy from the sun rather than the har harnessing the energy of just our planet. And then on a grander scale is harnessing the energy of all the nearby stars and then eventually harnessing the energy of the galaxy, uh, which is, I just can't even really fathom that because of how teeny tiny us humans are in, in that perspective. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a fun thought to sort of think about a thought experiment, um, which is sort of what this episode is about. So if you guys haven't heard about Universe Sandbox, uh, this is a really fun kind of like gaming platform. Um, I don't know if I can get into my Steam account. I haven't opened it in like forever. Let me see if I can get into it. But Universe Sandbox is something I was told about way back in, in college. And uh, it's basically astronomical engineering on a, you know, software scale. So on our computers. Um, oh, yeah, I don't even know what my Steam login is. Oh, well, I can't get in. That's okay. Uh, but so what's fun about it is you can change the sizes and the like amount of mass or the amount of stars or planets within certain planetary systems. You could even replace the sun with a black hole, replace it with a basketball, all these hypotheticals. Um, but what I like so much about it is by playing these sort of scenarios out, you're learning a lot, not only about the behavior of objects in space, but you're also like taking into consideration the possibility of these things happening. Uh, so what I mean by that is if there's a civilization we come in contact with that is orbiting around a star that can collapse into a stellar mass black hole, what does it mean for that civilization? Uh, and and uh, will we advance far enough as, as a human society to be able to not only come in contact with another civilization, but be on a level of like Star Trek where you can then communicate with these civilizations and almost save these societies by like transporting them to another planet, which is like, again, really out there and far-fetched and fun to think about. But like, if we can think about it and um, we can, you know, live long enough and advance our technology enough, we can maybe make that happen. Uh, so I think that's a, a really fun thing. So if you look up uh, astronomical engineering, um, it also mentions that, uh, so it says it's known as a, it's, it's very like common theme in science fiction, as well as a matter of recent scientific research and exploratory uh, engineering. So I guess what I'm sort of wondering about here is, is how much of an influence this science fiction concept has had on 
the engineering of like tangible spacecraft, tangible like objects to observe space, such as telescopes, computers, software, uh, all these things play a really vital role when it comes to observing the cosmos. Um, and so uh, kind of thinking about how to engineer objects in space, uh, which we can't do currently, can that play a role in how we can engineer ob like objects here on Earth to further observe those things? And one more thing I'll mention kind of about this idea of engineering nature is, um, uh, let's see, I think the episode did come out. Let me just do a real quick check on uh, my show that just came out on Curiosity Stream, which is now uh, available on YouTube, by the way. Um, let me see if the episode came out. We, okay, we did an episode that is titled uh, The Weather Control Slash Geoengineering Debate. And uh, this was a really fun episode to, to, to shoot. I learned so much about this. And um, basically, I'm not going to give all the details because I would love for you guys to watch this episode. Here's the link. Um, but it, it talks about geoengineering. So what would it be like to actually like engineer things with our very own planet, our climate? And um, this is sort of like a small baby step to the term astronomical engineering, where you know we can't physically right now go somewhere else and change the very essence of these planets, but maybe we can. And so, so if if this is kind of starting to happen here on Earth, and again, the debate is really interesting. It's really kind of hot because it goes both ways. One way is is this really not good for our climate? Should we not be doing this? And the other way is is this something we should be doing to actually save humanity and to fix our climate from things that have been, you know changing with it. So the, these are the two kind of really big polarizing sides of the debate. And it's really interesting. So I recommend watching the episode. Um, but uh, if, we first, if we do start to sort of do this with our own planet Earth, this can then tie into the idea of Mars and going and terraforming Mars, this other planet. That's, that's something that uh, a, a really crazy thing that I think about when it comes to Mars is... Um, the, the current understanding of what happened to the planet Mars and why it, it's gotten so cold and really lacks an atmosphere, has like only a few percentages of an atmosphere compared to Earth, um, is that there was a, maybe a huge asteroid impact that could have really messed it up, uh, caused for it to lose its you know electromagnetic field lines, causing the atmosphere to not get held in and protected by the electromagnetic field and getting blown away. And now the Earth, the, the planet ended up getting really exposed to the harsh climate of space and the harsh radiation of the sun. And all of the life on Mars could have dried up and died. Uh, so so this, is, this is one of the ideas and the theories. But right around the time that that had happened of, of estimations of just all the studies and research and all the samples that have, have been studied from the, the red planet, the estimations show that it was probably around the time that life first began on Earth. And that just always gets me so like, I don't know, I just get like goosebumps thinking about it because I just really think about like the probability of there have been, the possibility that there was maybe was life on Mars prior Earth. And, you know, is, is and how could that can possibly tie into the theory of panspermia, which, which says that there's a possibility that how life may have begun on Earth was from you know, some type of space rock impact that carried some kind of tiny microbe on it that could have been what 
led to the existence of life. And then, of course, with, you know, once what's algae pr- production started to happen within the oceans, this led to a high amount of oxygen molecules to be produced in our atmosphere, which led to having the kind of atmosphere that we sort of have today, where it's very oxygen dominant and nitrogen and, and, and all these elements that are necessary for our form of biological life to exist. So with that being said, uh, if we now have the consideration of going back to Mars and to terraform the planet, meaning to make it Terra-like or Terra, such as the land on Earth, so making it Earth-like, um, then in a way we are astronomically engineering this planet. And uh, so in a way, this is not such a science fiction thing anymore. It may not be anymore. Uh, It went from being a science fiction concept to something that could become an actual real reality, especially after, you know, the the first Starship missions begin to happen. And, you know, the the robotic family that currently lives on Mars can expand to a potentially biological human family that's living on Mars um, and then how to make it more habitable. And so that's exactly what this term means is, is engineering it to make it different than how it behaves in nature. Um, but I will make the argument of, well, us humans, by us, our very existence of being in nature, it's not that we're artificially engineering these places, but that we, in fact, derive from nature. And so maybe we are playing the role of actually adjusting nature in itself. I don't know if you're following that, but the way I think about it is sort of like um, predators and preys in nature. And you have uh, sometimes if, if, if a species is going extinct, you can have an increase in uh, another kind of species because they're no longer being hunted. And this can cause a throw off of the balance of you know, the ecosystem. But um, that, and that could be caused by several different things, such as you know, the, the, the area in which they're existing, the climate is, is shifting for them, so they can't really survive anymore. They, they don't have food, and the, the population is decreasing. That, that is something that is happening with some species. It's something that's also happening with the coral reefs and, and the ocean life. And so all these components are one thing, but the other thing I think about is, um, is, is – that is what our role is by being nature itself. We are made from nature. So in a way we are nature. And although we are nature to an extent of being like self-aware, so in a way being conscious and, and, um, and, and having a consciousness, uh, then we are, maybe we're playing the role that we're supposed to be playing. So again, this is, this is all up for debate. This is, this is sort of just like a stream of consciousness episode, I guess, again. So it just sort of makes you think about that. Um, so uh, if you want to hear more about like experts sort of things, like, talking about this, and when I say experts, I mean people who are literally working on technology to do these very things, um, I would listen to that episode um, that I shared the link to because I think you guys might really enjoy that. Um, it, is, it, is, it was a really fun thing to, 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 to do and to interview from everyone that I spoke to. So let's see. Oh, awesome. Just saw them. The comment from Spacefoot Messier. All right, bon voyage. So, um, okay, so that was a little bit about astronomical engineering that I found. Um, just sort of a little bit of my thoughts on it, a little bit about also, of course, the space debris that we see kind of currently happening in our, um, just in our reality. So just orbiting around Earth, uh, that is something that we could be working on is, is kind of cleaning up the space junk problem. And I mean, we as, a, as in a whole human society, 
Uh, but one final thing I'm going to sort of end off on is APOD, Astronomy Picture of the Day. So if you are new here, so what's up, what's up? I'm going to share a link in the chat if you guys want to go ahead and check that out yourself. Uh, this is one of my favorite websites. I mention it every time, so I won't go into it again. But um, today's picture looks really awesome. All these different pictures that come through, taken of space from photographers and astrophotographers. Um, and this looks like a really cool picture. This is of the lunar eclipse that happened the other day. So this was on Sunday night. Um, and this was taken in Florida. And this is, a, I think, a really awesome picture because of how much light it picked up from the sky rather than it being a totally pitch black sky. And then you seeing that transition of the moon from bright to shadowy to red to then shadowy again and then to bright. The fact that it picked up all this other light, I think, looks really cool. Um, and it makes the full moon when it's uh, not being eclipsed, look really luminous, uh, which I think is is a pretty, pretty cool picture. Um, I think this is relatively rare. And uh, what's awesome about it is that you can see, if you zoom in on the picture, so if you click on it, it'll download the picture, and then you can just click one more time, and it'll zoom in on the super sharp pixelation of it. You can see the direction of Earth's shadow crossing on the moon. So you can see by the, if you go all the way to the left of the screen, the right side of the moon is super luminous. And then as you reach that point of totality, all of a sudden the right side of the moon goes to red, the bottom of the moon goes really bright, and then the left side of the moon starts to go really bright again. And then eventually you see that shadow of the Earth moving out of the way. Uh, and this is this is literally the the magic of the alignment of space. This is the sun being behind us, Earth being in the center, and then Earth facing the moon. And we're casting this shadow on it. And the reason it's reddish like this is is because there is sunlight still passing through the edges of Earth, around the edges of of our planet, through our atmosphere, causing for this this type of color to happen. And so, we're not casting a totally black shadow um, on the moon. That's why it's not totally black, like with a with a solar eclipse. Um, we're having uh, this this section of our shadow um, causing sort of this like uh, like dark color, but at the same time, there's still some light that's poking through and making it to the moon, and that's bouncing off of it and then bouncing back to Earth, and that's how we see it as that color. These are known as two different sections, or I guess three in a way. You got the penumbra and then the umbra. And the umbra is the, that right when we are perfectly in line with the moon. So that is that center part of our shadow, where the penumbra is are the outer regions of the shadow. Um, so either left or the right side. It's really helpful to sort of just look at a diagram rather than sort of hear me talk about it. Um, but you could really see that perfectly in this picture. And that's what I like so much about um, this image and the pictures that end up getting um, getting uh, submitted here on Astronomy Picture of the Day. If you go down to the bottom and click on search, you could actually head to Astronomy Picture of the Day searchable archive. And I recommend typing in lunar eclipse. And um, <laughs> this, is, this is pretty cool. I just got a, a transit picture of the lunar eclipse. Um, 
What's up, everyone? Uh, sorry, just just saw a couple new people joined. July, C, and Lucky. Hello, hello. Happy to have you guys here. Uh, we are just sort of wrapping up talking about astronomical engineering. We spoke a little bit about space junk, and now we're kind of looking at um, this these these pictures on Astronomy Picture of the Day, which is one of my favorite websites, and uh, we're looking at pictures taken of the lunar eclipse. Uh, so you get this really cool one. I'm going to share the link with you guys here. If you go to their archive and type in lunar eclipse, um, you could actually see it's it's a little bit different. What it is is the moon transiting in front of the sun. Uh, so in order to see this, you would need an H-alpha filter or a white light filter on your um, telescope, a solar filter, really, really important. You want to filter out all of that that really, it's really harsh rays to be able to see this picture. And it just looks like a shadow passing in front of that sun. And you can see all the textures um, of that plasma ball that we we have life from, if it weren't for it, which is the sun itself. And um, it's a really, really cool image. And if you click on it, uh, it downloads into a movie. And if you watch the movie, it's even cooler. Uh, so I highly recommend checking out that link I just shared. What's up to everyone who's joining our call right now? Hello, Anthony. Hello, Stever. Um, hope you guys are doing well. We are just wrapping up our, our episode now, um, but I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, while you were here. If you are just joining, um, I recommend clicking the links that I just shared in the chat. Uh, one of them called apod.nasa.gov. We're looking at some really cool pictures of the moon uh, passing in front of the sun. Um, so this is this one. This picture is a little bit different. This one. So let's see. This one was taken in 2007, um, which is which is pretty pretty cool to sort of see this. Um, and I highly recommend, guys, if you can get to an astronomy club, uh, find one. Find an event where you can look at the sun through an H-alpha filter or just a solar filter because to see like the sun safely, you know, like through uh, enough filtration on a telescope and see sunspots and see the textures of, of that star that, um, that you know, we, we, we see every single morning and, and during the day uh, is so phenomenal. Um, if you wanted to just sort of see what sunspots are in case you don't know what a sunspot is. I'm going to pull up an image for you guys. Sunspots. Let's see if I have any here. I'm on an astronomy picture of the day looking this up for you guys right now, but I don't quite see any. Um, so maybe there hasn't been too many submitted of this. There. Oh, here we go. Oh, this is a hole on Mars. Either way, you guys can definitely check that out on your own. Um, oh, here we go. Here's a really good link. So here is one of sunspots um oh i love this i heart aliens yes imagination forever yes oh that's so great you would have you would have definitely enjoyed our, our conversation earlier i'll definitely publish this episode once we're once we're once we're wrapped here um as we were kind of talking about the the possibility of uh engineering the cosmos itself and uh in what ways are we sort of doing this already for one with our own planet with two possibly terraforming mars uh, which is to make Mars more Earth-like, and three, uh, by potentially asteroid mining. You know, mining an asteroid for really precious elements like platinum and titanium is, is are we are in a way also engineering the very material makeup and mass and eventually trajectory and gravitational effect of these bodies in space? Um, 
So interesting stuff, but um, I'm glad you guys all joined. Oh, I love I love this comment. You guys are making me want to stay on longer. Lucky burritos. I think we are all the aliens. Yeah, uh, that that is a, a very uh, potential, very very big potential. We we could very well be uh, not from Earth itself. Uh, if you guys don't know about that, I'll just look up a real quick link about the theory of Pamsfermia. Actually, don't even really know how to pamp. Oh, I spelt it right. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, so if you guys want to look up panspermia, P-A-N-S-P-E-R-M-I-A. Um, oh, that's weird. Panspermia, um, origin of life. So this talks about the potential that we came from uh, some kind of space rock that collided with Earth and had some kind of microbes on it. And it could have potentially been what sort of spawned life here on Earth. I want to see if I can find a pretty cool article for you guys, though, if you want to read about this. Um, let's see. I'm on astronomy.com, a really good uh, source for information. I, I do trust their sources a lot. So here, I'm going to share this link with you all if you want to read that in your own time. So there you go. That is astronomy.com, one of my other favorite news sources. Um as well as Sky and Telescope. But yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you all so much. I've got to run, but I'm so happy you guys got to join this episode, uh, which was a little bit more of a stream of consciousness. But uh, thank you guys so much for joining. Um, if you're new to the show, what's up? What's up? Uh, I hope you guys uh, do subscribe and tune in for future episodes. Every Monday, I do an episode about what's happening in the night sky, what astronomical events are happening. I do both the North and the Southern Hemisphere. So I hope you guys get to tune in to those episodes. Um, but otherwise, have a fabulous weekend. Um, if you want to tune into tomorrow's episode, I did uh, title it String Theory. So that's going to be another kind of wacky episode, but I'm excited to sort of get into that as well. Uh, this is this is just fun stuff for literally for me to talk about String Theory. I'm not a particle physicist, uh, so that is a little bit out of my area of just what I what I studied when I was uh, studying astrophysics, but um, it's interesting stuff and I really, really like it. And so maybe we could bring on some experts in the future. All right, everyone. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day. Make sure you get outside and look up at the sky. Um, and as always, add Astra.